for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Psalm 30. I do appreciate y'all being here. I know it's a Wednesday night. Miss Mallory, it's good to see you. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, let's talk. Last week, we had Grow Night. If you didn't come to Grow Night, uh, you missed it. It's, it was, it's always a great opportunity once a quarter to get together and just, just be thankful to God for the grace and the mercy that he's given us, the way he's extended his compassion and provision and blessing over us, the way that he protects us and is the shield and the buckler and the strong tower and all the wonderful things that the Word of God says that he is. Um, but if you missed it, or even if you didn't miss it, if you were here, Pastor Leonard prayed last Wednesday night, and he started praying for stuff that, honestly, it never crossed my mind to pray for, uh, prayer of Thanksgiving. And he, he started praising God for light switches and airplanes and all this kind of stuff. And I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest with you, Pastor Leonard? When you did that, I thought, that's, what are you doing, man? But then I got home and I realized my generation has never not known life without electricity, you know, or medications or travel or those kinds of things. And we should be thankful for the things that have become so familiar in our life that we take them for granted. Matter of fact, I think we fall into a, a a place where we lose blessing potentially because we do take God for granted in the simple things like refrigeration and all those kinds of things. And so I had to, I went home, I thought about that. I meditated on it a while and, and, and came to a place. I just, I kind of repented to God, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry where I f forgot to be thankful or didn't think to be thankful, probably even worse for some of the simple things that we all take for granted. You know, um, the fact that skin covers the nerve so I don't hurt is a grace from God, you know, uh, that I got to wake up this morning is a grace from God, that I've got a family and a church family that love me is a grace from God. And we should be more thankful, right? And I bring this up for a reason. I bring this up for a reason because we, we're not only commanded to be thankful, we have reason to be thankful. Scripture is just replete with texts about thankfulness. In Psalms 100, 4 through 5, we're commanded, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courtyards with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. That's a command. That's a declarative statement. You should, you will do this. And it says, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his faithfulness is to all generations. That's the reason. So we've been given a command to be thankful and a reason why we should be thankful. We should be thankful in all things, but for a reason, and that reason is his mercy, his faithfulness, is to all generations. So it doesn't matter how old you are, what you've seen, what you haven't seen, you should be thankful. Probably because you haven't seen some things. Amen? 
In Ephesians 5.20, it says, always giving thanks. I love this because it's a it's such a declarative command. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, not even a, it's not a suggestion. It's almost implied because he just states it as the obvious. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ of God, even the Father. That's a command. In James 1.17, it says, every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. That's a reason to be prayerful or to be thankful because God doesn't change. The reason I love the fact that God doesn't change is because if he were to change for the better, that means that he couldn't have possibly been perfect before and couldn't have been God. If he changes for the worse, then he's not worthy of being God now because he's no longer perfect. And so he never changes because he is perfectly perfect. Which means because he doesn't change, there's a consistency in him in every single way. And this is for every person in this room, myself included. If he is, if there's ever been a point in your life where you knew God loved you, his love for you hasn't changed because his love is incapable of changing because it's his nature to love. So if he's ever loved anyone, he's loved you. Not just you, anyone. If he's ever had compassion on anyone, he wants to pour his compassion out on you. If he's ever saved anyone, he wants to save you. If he's ever kept someone, he wants to keep you. If he's ever wanted to be somebody's strength, the horn of their salvation, that's what that means, a horn of salvation, means the strength that holds my salvation secure for anyone in all of history, he wants to do the same for you. And I could go on and on about every promise of God. If he's ever been, insert what you need in your life for someone throughout all of of earthly history, then he's willing and capable of being that person to you. Do you know why? Because he can't change. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Because I do change. I am inconsistent. I, I lack faithfulness sometimes. Sometimes where I should be, I'm not. But God hasn't changed his view of me by one degree. And so it doesn't matter what you're going through. Can I tell you, before we even start in on this song, make your mistakes, don't make your mistakes, be the victim of someone else's mistake, it doesn't matter. If he's ever loved anyone, he loves you. If he's ever held someone tightly and securely, he's done the same for you. And I know I'm beating a dead horse, but church, we got to realize the first fight we have to win is knowing who we are. Knowing what we have because of who we belong to, who is Christ Jesus. And because he is capable, we are capable. And I'm going to talk about that more in just a few moments. But... Can I get an amen? Like, can y'all feel that? I want you to walk away from here confident on a firm foundation that we have reason to be thankful, even for light switches. Amen. And so David knew this, that he was commanded and had reason to be thankful. Let me tell you about Psalm 30. Psalm 30, the post or the, Subtitle of this is 
The title is Thanksgiving for Deliverance from Death. The subtitle is a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house, a psalm of David. Now, this isn't a, a psalm once the house was built, because if you know your Bible, you know that the temple wasn't built until after David had been dead. Solomon built the temple, not David, so he couldn't have sang this song at the dedication of the house. So when would he have dedicated or written this song, and for what purpose? He wrote this song when he bought the plot that the proper that the temple would ultimately rest upon. It is then this place that David found his personal space of worship. It was his house of worship, that plot of land, that threshing floor. Amen? Why is this important? Because God gave him the ability to do it. Not that he gave him the ability to to necessarily buy the property, but because he was willing to be faithful so that David could ultimately buy the piece of property. Hence the context of the psalm. Let me tell you why the psalm was written. I just told you when it was sung, when the property was bought. Why was it written in the first place is a completely different thing. Y'all know, they write songs and then they sing them later, right? So what caused David to write this song? If you're not familiar um, with David's life, let me tell you, he made two serious mistakes in his life. One of them was when he took Bathsheba into his own bed, the wife of another husband, of another man, and the murder and all the sin that he committed to try to cover all of that up. Another one, the one that was written in this instance, is when he became prideful and in his pride caused or called for a census of Israel. He wanted to number the people. And so God gave him three decisions or three choices. He told him, he said, you have three choices. I'm going to give you three years of famine, three months of fleeing from from your enemies, or three days of pestilence. And David chose three days of pestilence. And 70,000 Israelites were killed by whatever pestilence that was. But God kept David even though he knew he sinned. He knew he sinned. Second Samuel 24.10 in regard to this incident says, now David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people. So he was immediately convicted. He knew immediately, I have done wrong. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I had have acted foolishly. But the consequence for the action still had to be paid. And the consequence for that action was 70,000 lives of his own people. But David recognized that God, even when we fail, everybody say, even when we fail, wants to bring all things new, wants to make all things new. And that's what this whole thing is about. He's given praise and thanks to God for giving him all things new, for keeping him and holding him. Even though he had sinned, even though he recognized his sin, he did the one thing that was able to restore him and bring him back to a place of newness. And that is recognize his sin, which is to recognize the poverty of who he was, to repent of that sin, 
and then ultimately to be forgiven of God. I'm going to say it again. You'll hear me say it several more times. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've aligned yourself with, past or maybe even present. God is faithful to those who recognize the poverty of their life, their poverty and sin, and repent of it, and he will lift up your countenance. But you have to trust in him. Amen? And so he, David, began to praise God, and he began to thank him for making all things new. David was thankful first for a new victory that God hadn't given him the death that he deserved, but had given him life instead. David had two problems in verse 1 through 3. He says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. Extol means to jubilantly express praise, to jump up and down, to wave your arms, to be flamboyant in your exercise of worship. That's We should take time for every now and then and just be... Just be a little more flamboyant. You can be flamboyant and reverential at the same time. Amen? I, I, I had a guy tell me not very long ago, he says, I really appreciate the reverence of the worship at your church, and I do too. But can I tell you, sometimes I just want people to give a good, hearty amen, praise God, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, something in response. Can we extol the Lord in this place? And says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. That just means from the depths. Here, you have kept me alive that I would not go down into the pit. David had two problems in these three verses the painful distress that was within him because of the sin that he committed and the enemies around him that wanted to kill him. We should have these same two problems in our life. The situations and the circumstances that we find ourselves in should cause us some pain and discomfort. But God is faithful, amen? In addition to that, it says that his enemies surround him. We've all got enemies that surround us. Everybody got some kind of negativity in their mouth. Everybody wants to be disunifying. Everybody wants to talk negative about you. Let me tell you, it's time to be shucking that yoke off. Amen? We're carrying around the burden of somebody else's opinion of us. We shouldn't be doing that. David understood that it, even though his enemies intended to attack him, his God was bigger and could offer him victory and did offer him victory. I love that. It's not just against his, the enemies surrounding his country. It's likely the enemies within his own country. Remember, he wrote this after being responsible for the lives or the deaths, or as it were, of 70,000 of his own countrymen. Tell me that wasn't going around town? You tell me people weren't mad about that? There's 70,000 families in Israel that are angry at David. But you know what? Whether they're right or they're wrong for being angry, God was willing to give and keep David so that he might have the new victory that he calls us all to. Amen? That is so good. I love that he says, 
He says this, I cried for you to for help and you healed me. There wasn't anything necessarily physically wrong with David. So what healing is he talking about? He's talking about the healing of forgiveness. I cried out for you and you forgave me. I don't care what these other people think. Angela and I came and planted this church because we knew we'd been offered the healing of forgiveness by God, and it didn't matter what anybody in this town thought of us. We were here to declare the goodness of God and that who I was isn't who I am, and who you are isn't who you have to be either. But we can only understand that if we understand we have that new victory, not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus. Amen? And that's the exact truth. That we have victory in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sit on that for a minute. Oh, you're an overcomer because Jesus was an overcomer. Jesus overcame the world. Jesus overcame death. And by his overcoming of the world, you can overcome the world. By his overcoming of death, you have the promise of overcoming death. In fact, the word of God in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in 1 John 5, 4, says that you are an overcomer. So stop living below your station. You've already got the new victory if you have Jesus. And I'm happy about that. I'm happy about that for me, and I praise God for that about you. Rest in the new victory that you have, that God has moved you from to life, not death not through any work that you did, but through the work that he did, which means throw that list away. Be faithful to what God has called you to and let him keep you. I told you one of the first lessons we need to learn is who we are. I can't do enough stuff to have victory in Christ Jesus. I can't give enough money to have victory in Christ Jesus. I can't serve down at the homeless shelter enough to have victory in Christ Jesus. I have victory in Christ Jesus because I recognize the poverty of who I was, repented of who I was, and he offered me salvation. And he's done the same thing for you. Amen? But he didn't just offer David a new victory. David was thankful for a new day that he got, instead of sorrow of night, he was given joy in the morning. Ooh, four and five read like this. Sing praises to the Lord, you his godly ones, that give thanks to his holy name. I want you all to sit under the weight of this powerful, beautiful word. And if you'll allow it, preserving word. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. I know that's hitting some of y'all hard. It hits me hard when I read it because life's hard. We're in the middle of our, our sorrow and we want joy. 
God promises us joy, but allows the sorrow. I am thankful, as David is, to be thankful that God keeps us. But you know what's incredible here? He doesn't just discuss his thankfulness. In Psalms 34, 3, he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He was such a worshiper that he called or caused other people to worship. Did you know when people see you worship, it increases their likelihood of worship? When people see you read your word, it increases the likelihood that they're going to read their word. When they see you praying, it increases the likelihood that they're going to pray all of these acts of worship. That is literally discipleship. Being who you're supposed to be, loving God the way you're supposed to love God, and causing other people to come together and do the same. David wasn't just excited to be worshipful, which he was for a new day. He called others to worship, which should be all of us, all of us, even in our sorrow, should worship with such a vigor, such an intensity that the people around us look and be like, I know what that dude's going through. I know what that girl's going through. Why is it they're joyful? And how do I make my sorrow like their joy? And then you know what we get to say to them? Jesus. Jesus is what gets us there. God, let me tell you, God's a perfect judge. And so David had some stuff coming. He had sorrow coming. But God didn't intend for him to stay in his sorrow. Isaiah 54, 7 through 8 reads like this. For a brief moment, I forsook you. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. For a brief moment, I forsook you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. Everybody say a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. David's praise contrasted God's judgment to show that God is gracious and that he is merciful and that he cares about us and ours should too, which is great in theory, man. For me to say, you, should, you shouldn't be sorrowful. Be people of joy. That's, that's shallow talk coming from a man with nothing to be sorrowful for. So the question has to be asked, why sorrow in the first place? Is God not capable of keeping us from sorrow? Is he? Yeah, he is. He could make our world as perfect as he wanted it to be. We'd never suffer, never struggle, never do anything. So why would he allow such a thing? Can I, can I read something to you? I think this is the answer. 16, John 16, 20 through 22. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, that you will weep and lament, 
but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Why sorrow? So that we might ultimately hold the baby that is perfect in every way. So that we might become perfected in our trials and in our tribulations and the things that call us so, cause us sorrow. We're, we're lamenting the loss of a good friend tomorrow. There's sorrow there. But let me tell you, there's no sorrow in Jackie right now. His sorrow has been turned into joy. And we should live our physical life like we expect our eternal life. Amen. I can't tell you why you suffer or why there's sorrow in your life. But I will tell you that it's for your good. That God is trying to do something in you through you so that he might do something around you. I love this verse. James 1, 2, and f 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All of that happens so that we're lacking in nothing, which then allows us to consider it all joy. So you could read that front to back just as or back to front as easily as you could front to back. We sorrow, we struggle, we have temptation as a refining process to bring us joy. Now let me tell you, you have to choose joy. Joy is not an easy thing for people with a real reason to be sorrowful. But when we're truly joyful in situations where we could be sorrowful, again, theory of transference being what it is, those around us that are sorrowful can recognize the joy in us and ask us where that joy came from. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm trying to transfer as much joy as I can. I've made a decision to be a person of joy because I know my Jesus isn't subject to change. He isn't subject to my circumstance or my situation. He isn't subject to my pain. And because those things are true, I know that the hope of my joy is for, for sure my end. And I intend to set my eye on my end, not my right now. Amen? And I know that's tough. And it may sound like a church platitude, but God is just trying to make you everything that you need to be so that you might be perfect and stand before him one day hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
David was thankful for a new heart. Where he had pride, God gave him a heart of humility. In verse 6 through 10, it says, Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. <laughs> That's arrogant, ain't it? David is in his prosperity. Prosperity here means careless ease or carefree assurance because I'm doing well. In, in my prosperity, in all the things that I've accumulated, I said to myself, I shall not be moved. <laughs> you know what comes before a fall? Stupid things like this. Because of who I am and because of what I've accomplished and because of what I've accumulated, I'm not going to be moved. Well, let me tell you, the census happened that we talked about, the reason he wrote this is because he was so proud of himself, so proud of the nation that he was king over, that he wanted to number what he had accumulated, not what God had done in his life. And so God said, you think that's good? Well, let me show you a little something. It's going to cost you. The price of a new heart is an expensive one. In this case, it was 70,000 souls. But you know what? Like I said, David only got in trouble twice in his life that, that I can think of. And you know what he was doing both times? Living in his prosperity. He was bragging about his prosperity here. When he met Bathsheba, when he first cast his eyes upon Bathsheba, it says that when kings were normally out to war, David stayed behind. He's like, I'm just going to hang out here in the castle, in my own house, live in my comfort when I should be out doing what God's called me to do. Look at all the stuff I've done. And in his prosperity, thinking he'd never be moved, he got moved twice. And best I can tell, it's the only two times God ever really found fault in David's life. And so God did what God does. He moved him out of his prosperity and into his repentance to show him, you think your mountain's big, my mountain's bigger. God will give you a new heart or you could submit the heart that you have. I'd rather submit the heart that I have because I've had the heart ripped out of me before and it it's the worst. Amen? Because pride does come before a fall. But God offers what to the humble? What's that? Grace. God offers, he opposes the proud, offers grace to the humble. How many of you guys need more grace in your life? If you don't know, you don't know what, if you say if you don't raise your hand here, you don't know what grace is. You need to go back and listen to the sermon series I did on grace not very long ago because you didn't hear none of that. We need grace to be able to be sitting here. So he gave him a new heart. He continued, he said, To you, O Lord, I called and the Lord made supplication. 
And to the Lord I made supplication. I called out to God. I asked him, what profit is there in my blood? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? He's literally saying, God, save me, keep me, so that I can still be here to praise you. Do you know that's the purpose of your life, to bring glory to God? Your new heart, a heart of humility, should be focused on praising God with everything that you are. I don't know about y'all, but I ain't having the rocks out praise me. Verse 11 and 12. David was thankful for a new song. He was in mourning, but now he is rejoicing. You have turned for me my mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, my sadness into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Man, this is the new song we need to be singing because God keeps us and loves us. Even his discipline, according to Hebrews 12, is a, is a love over us. And so we should cast off that sackcloth that we carry. This, for those that don't know the tradition, in times of mourning, they would put on ashes and sackcloth, it's like burlap, and they would, from a posture of mourning, wear these clothes. God's saying, or David's saying, I don't have to wear that anymore. Instead, I get to put on a garment of gladness, a garment of joy, a garment that is my new song. And that would be my encouragement to you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you need new in your life, a new victory, a new heart, a new song. I don't, I don't know what you need new, made new in your life. But I'll tell you, God makes all things new. He did it in David's life. And he'll do it in yours. You know why? Because he never changes. Amen.